So it is the Sunday before Christmas. It doesn't get better than that, right? And I got to baptize my son. I get to preach now. I'm very blessed. The Sunday before Christmas, but for you, in your life, it's either joy or panic, right? Joy, because you got everything done, or panic, because you wonder how you're going to get everything done in the next couple days. It's easy to get right up close to Christmas and feel like, feel like you've been so victorious or you're the epic loser because you didn't do or you did do. You either had your cards in the mail a month ago, you had all your Christmas presents bought before the month that is Black Friday. By the way, I, I brought a gift today and it's taped under one of the front row chairs so I know that no one wanted it because nobody sat up here except these two fine people. So you get first dibs after the service to check under every chair, okay? So the duns get to check first, but after they check, well, basically once they start moving, it's open season. How's that? You're, you're strong. You can do this. All right. Seriously, you might be feeling panicked because you're like, I will not be able to get anything done in the next couple days. I've got this to go to, that to go to, and I'm, I'm just a loser. Look, this year I got half of my Christmas lights up. You can check it out tonight. You drive by the house. One of my kids actually warned their friends as they were driving them home. Hey, by the way, before you get to my block, my house has the Charlie Brown Christmas display, you know. I got Jesus, Mary, and Joseph up front and center, and one lame string of lights... <laughs> going off to the right <laughs> it was my intent I had three strings of lights I was going to put up we pressure ourselves so much and we pressure others to create and to experience a Christmas that we think is perfect we may nail the cultural one but we may fail the biblical one you don't want to fail the biblical one in our attempts to do everything during the season. Get everything done that we want to get done. We can miss the whole idea that Jesus has done everything for us. That's what the biblical Christmas is all about. That Jesus has done everything for us. So today as we celebrate Christ's birth. I mean really, we're, it's like the log ride, right? We're, we're not even at the top anymore. We're going. And, and there's no stopping it. But as we celebrate this, I want us to see a bigger picture. I want us to see a bigger picture, especially that this, this holiday madness that we're always a part of that may have detoured you doesn't have to. And it could be that it's not, not getting your... You know, our family hasn't done a Christmas card in five years. It might not be your Christmas cards or your your presence or your decorations outside that's drug you down or even the amount of things you had to go to. It could be that something has broken into your life that is very serious and it's Christmas time and you're finding it really tough to enjoy this time. No matter what it is, you need to realize that Jesus should be front and center because Jesus Christ has done everything for us. We celebrate the wondrous mystery of God incarnate when the Word, who spoke all things into being and holds all things together by the Word of His power, became flesh and dwelt among us. 
He for a little while was made lower than the angels. This wondrous mystery of God incarnate is that God the Son, remaining what he always was, God, became what he was not but always will be, man. The God-man forever, the sovereign Savior, the sovereign Lord, the only mediator between God and man, our only hope, the Lord Jesus. He has done everything for us. So I want you to take your Bibles. I'm going to go to a very, very familiar passage. I hope to bring out some things that aren't as familiar. Luke chapter 2. If you're able, please stand with me to read God's word. I know some of you are not able, but I know you want to. We, we stand to honor God and his word. And we're going to read about how God, who stands above all time, entered the realm of time and space in the person of Jesus Christ, the God-man, and dealt sin and Satan a fatal blow. Luke 2, we're going to read verses 8 through 20. This is the word of God. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went in haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered, at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. This is God's word. Lord God, thank you for your word. Teach us now by your spirit. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So what do we mean by Jesus, God, for us? A lot of people who are very self-centered will say, well, God's doing everything for me uh, because I need to get what I want all the time. People will have their lists. It's not just at Christmas, like, buy me this and get me that. But all year long, they're like, hey, do this for me, do that for me. And so God, when they think of God for them, they think, yeah, God is doing the things I want. What do we mean by Jesus, 
God for us. We mean simply that God in Jesus Christ has done everything for us. That's what Romans 8.31 says. If God be for us, who can be against us? Paul has recounted the glorious gospel truths of predestination, justification, sanctification, glorification. He's recapped all of God's salvation glory from before the foundation of the world in choosing, redeeming, growing, and preserving his people by saying, God for us. If God be for us, he has worked for his glory and our eternal good. God for people that were against him. God eliminating enmity. God friending enemies. That God did everything for our eternal salvation in Christ. Jesus substituted himself in our place. He is now our advocate with the Father at the right hand of God, interceding for us. Christmas time, we, we've got all sorts of manger scenes where there's a, a baby in a manger and, and we've got to realize this baby in a manger that we celebrate is the sovereign lord of the universe he's done everything for us he is the lord of glory he has worked for his glory and our salvation he who knew no sin entered the sin as a bloody infant so that he could die on a bloody cross so that we might be cleansed by his precious blood. We're in Luke 2. Very, very common passage of scripture at Christmas time. It gets read all the time. Last week we were in Matthew 1. Another very common Christmas passage. And I want you to see something in this passage that maybe you miss maybe you've missed I want to focus on the one big thing in Luke 2 8 through 20 the major emphasis that's actually repeated it's a repeated concept it's the glory of God three times in this birth announcement of Christ in Luke 2 we see glory the whole passage is framed by glory Verse 9, the glory of the Lord shone around the angels. The glory of the Lord appeared. Verse 14, the angels are singing glory to God in the highest. And then verse 20, the shepherds are glorifying God. It's about the glory of God working for the good of mankind. It's about the glory of God. But what do we mean by that, the glory of God? What we mean is that every, everything about who God is in all his magnificence. And if you can't get your mind around that, good. It's bigger than us. He's, he's so far above us. The glory of God, everything about who he is and in all his magnificence. The first thing I want you to see here is, is something that you might, you might think sounds weird, but is absolutely true, and it's, it's definitely, definitely First and foremost in this passage, the first significant thing that we see is that God glorifies himself. God glorifies himself. Verse, verse 9, the glory of God appears. It's just there. Now there's an angel. 
So you're thinking, well, yeah, because the glory of God accompanies angels. Well, are you really used to that? Is that just a commonplace occurrence? See, verse 8 says, the shepherds were watching their flocks by night. Was it Linus that read this so well? Bethlehem was the birthplace of King David. In his youth, he cared for sheep in this area. David was a shepherd. The Lord is our shepherd. Jesus says he's the good shepherd, lays down his life for the sheep. When the chief shepherd appears, we're going to receive the unfading crown of glory. But shepherds were amongst the lowest class of Israel. They represent the poor and the humble to whom this announcement of salvation will be very, very good news. They were near Jerusalem, about six miles away, and these sheep may have even been raised for temple sacrifice. If so, this would be pointing forward to Jesus as the sacrificial lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The shepherds were living outside during the warmer months, March through November, but sometimes there was year-round grazing, and they were literally keeping watch over their flocks by night. And I picture it the same way you do. You know, you got the you got the scene there, you know, they're on a hillside, you got the, the cool scene with all the sheep, and then kind of like maybe three or four shepherds just hanging out talking all night. That's actually not what would have happened. Literally, it's they were keeping watches, keeping watches. They were taking turns, sleeping and guarding the flock against thieves and animals. Our next door neighbors have chickens. And several times now, a coyote will come by and leap a six-foot-high chain-link fence and snatch and grab and go. You know those chickens you can get and just go? You get them at the market and you just go? Well, the coyote does that with my neighbor's chickens. Well, they would have to stay up all night long watching. They'd have to have, ask me to help them, too. Keeping watches, they're taking turns guarding the flock against thieves and animals. And then all of a sudden, this startling appearance, and not just, whoa, there's a meteor, <laughs> Whoa, do you see the falling star, you know, shooting star? You know, we, we talk about it, and it's just we can't grasp how, how crazy it was. So you look at verse 9, and we read it, we get, and we get inoculated to it, don't we? We almost get desensitized to, to how, how big this was. An angel of the Lord appeared. An angel of God just lands there. Startled, woo, what are you doing here? It says the glory of the Lord shone around them. I'd be more afraid of that. The glory of God shone around them. The Greek word for glorious doxa, it refers to God's visible presence. The visible manifestation of the glory of God appears right then and there. You can't like bottle that. In Exodus you see, the glory of the Lord, the manifestation of his glorious presence settling on Mount Sinai and, and, and remaining there. I remember reading about Moses where he says to God, show me your glory. God's like, you don't know what you're talking about. Awesome that you want that, but you'll die. God's glory, the created brightness that surrounds God's revelation of himself is what we're talking about here. The, 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 the glory of the Lord shone around them. It's visible. The visible manifestation of, of the excellence of God's character. This is wow stuff. At the display of the perfection of, of, of the 
the glorious attributes of God, the only response is to stand in awe and wonder and worship and, and abject fear. That's what the shepherds did. That's why they had to get assurance. Verse 10 says that the angel basically says, don't be afraid. It's easy for you to say, right? They're fearing, they're afraid, they're, they're, they laid low in the presence of God's glory and the angel gives them assurance, fear not. You're not gonna die here. I'm bringing you, here's the announcement. Here's the big announcement, the birth announcement. We're having all sorts of babies born at Grace. It's awesome and there's all sorts of birth announcements going on. I love seeing this. But here's the announcement. Unto you. So the shepherds that aren't really that, that important in, in their in their culture is getting something like this gift unto you is born this day so right now today so this is like breaking news before we can't even rip them from the headlines this is the headline in the city of david a savior so in bethlehem that's the city of david david was where he was from a, a savior who is Christ the Lord. Wow, you got savior, Christ, and Lord there. Sovereign savior, Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the promised redeemer, and the Lord, the sovereign Lord of the universe. All power and authority is his. So you have this announcement. It's good news. Luke is really used to giving these kind of words he he's very familiar he likes to give salvation announcements it's a it's a common thing in luke the announcement of good news it's based on isaiah's announcement of salvation isaiah 52 7 how lovely on the mountains is the feet of them who brings good news who announces peace who brings good news of happiness who announces salvation in luke chapter 4 Jesus appears in the temple one day and they, they hand him a Bible, scroll. And he reads Isaiah 61, 1. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set free those who are oppressed to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And Jesus is, is, is saying this about himself. He's saying God has glorified himself. Luke referred to Caesar Augustus in chapter two, verse one. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. God moved in the heart of this leader to count everyone at this particular time got them to Bethlehem it's interesting Caesar Augustus if you know anything about him you know that his birth was hailed as a major occurrence at his birth at the birth of Caesar Augustus people called him the savior of the world there are inscriptions that say that his birth signaled the beginning of good news for the world. People are worshiping him as God. And here, isn't it interesting that God doesn't send the angel to Caesar? 
to give him a message in the middle of the night. He sends the, the angel to some lowly shepherds who are going to publish this news. But Caesar, who's worshipped as a god, is off to the side and not, not mentioned here. Jesus is the only true deliverer bringing true joy. See, the angel says this is, this is good news of great joy. This is gospel of great joy for all the people. You should be very, very glad because this is good stuff for you. What did Jesus say? John 15, he's talking about the vine and the branches and how we can't do anything apart from him. And he says, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus is the only one. Verse 12, there's going to be a, a marker, a, a, a sign. There's going to be a, a place where you're going to go and, and see this firsthand, this glory of God that has appeared. And this is the sign. This is the sign. A baby. A baby. A little helpless bundle of joy. A little fatness. A little, a little, a little baby that needs everything. The one who humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death had a body. Jesus had elbows. He had the thumbs that we have, the ten fingers and ten toes and, and knees. And a back. Is yours aching? The back. He had, he had feet. Nostrils. A tongue. Chin. Ears. Forehead. He had all that. I'm not going to repeat that, but that was good. <laughs> I've reminded people about that often. Ask, ask over here what else Jesus did. He had all this stuff. He says, a body, Hebrews 10.5, a body you have prepared for me. Literally, the word there is dug out, prepared, created. Philippians 2 tells us he was made in human likeness. He was found in appearance as a man because Jesus is the visible manifestation of the glory of God. Hebrews 1.3 says that, that, God, that God made him the radiance of his glory. He is the, the radiance of the glory of God. God in Christ has done everything for us. He did it in a very unassuming way, though. Baby. Born in obscurity. There are many stories that the characters find themselves transported into a new world through some common occurrence. Lucy walks through an old wardrobe into Narnia. Alice pushes her way through a mirror into a looking glass room. Neo leaves the Matrix by taking the red pill. But something ordinary becomes the doorway into a new world. So here's God in the fullness of time, in his perfect time, planned before the foundation of the world, bringing this gospel of great joy for all the people. Baby. Bethlehem. Manger. Shepherds. Born to peasant parents. Laid in a feeding trough. Visited by lowly shepherds. 
How common? And the commonness of Jesus' birth reminds us how the Lord of the entire universe stooped down to our humble level to bring salvation. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us? Absolutely. Jesus now, Jesus now calls us to represent Him, to live out His incarnation for a lost world. We find ourselves in very humble circumstances. We find ourselves in very common places, and we are called to preach the gospel of the grace of God in Christ to everyone. The simple gospel message is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Jesus said, I am the door. He is the doorway into heaven. You look on the glory of Christ by faith. You believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You believe the gospel. You are transformed by God. You're transformed into, into his image by the Spirit. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, We all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, the Spirit. Beholding means to reflect in a mirror. The gospel is that mirror, the word of God. And 2 Corinthians 4 tells us, even if our gospel is veiled, if it's hidden, if, if people can't get it, if they don't see it, it's veiled to those who are perishing, perishing without Jesus. In their case, the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Get this, who is the image of God, the visible manifestation of the glory of God. What we proclaim, Paul says, is not ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord. With ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake, for God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. God glorifies himself. If that still sounds weird to you, consider this. God is the only being in the universe who can seek his own glory for the right reasons. It is his most loving act to seek his own glory. Ephesians 1 tells us he does all things for the praise of his glory. God is for us, and he is always, he always has been, always will be for himself. Isaiah 42 tells us what God says about this. He says, I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved idols. He's glorious, he's the glorious God whose name is holy. He says, I have both glorified my name and I will glorify it. And God's glory is revealed in Jesus, seen in the message of the gospel, the gospel, this mirror that reflects the glory of God because God glorifies himself. That's what we see in this birth announcement of Jesus the Messiah. The manifestation, the visible manifestation of the glory of God appears. God glorifies himself. We also see that angels glorify God. Angels glorify God. So the angel says to the shepherds, I bring you gospel of great joy for all the people. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. You're going to find the baby. And look at verse 13. Suddenly, 
a multitude of the heavenly host was praising God. So this huge throng of angels joins the angel who announced this news and starts glorifying and praising God. You might ask, why were they doing this? They're angels. Why were they doing this? It's because it's their job. It's their job to praise God. Let all, Hebrews 1 says, let all the angels worship him. So the multitude of angels are praising God, and what are they saying? Glory to God in the highest. They're glorifying God. The hosts, or the armies of heaven, are revealing God's sovereign power and authority. There's a common Old Testament name for God. It's the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies. All the angels. He's praised by heaven's armies. Psalm 148 says, Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his heavenly hosts. Because the angels are, are crying out glory to God in the highest. That means in the heavenly realms. It reflects the present praise of the heavenly host, of, of angels praising God. That's what's going on. And it finds its counterpart on earth in the next line. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. And you might say, whoa, whoa. My King James says, peace on earth, goodwill towards man. Goodwill towards man. I gotta be nice to everybody because Jesus gave me peace. Now I gotta be nice to everybody. No. You, yes, you do. You need to do this. But that's not what this verse is saying. <laughs> you should be kind, very kind. Be kind to all. But what this means, the phrase is people of goodwill. It's not talking about people's goodwill. It's talking about God's good grace that has been showered upon those that he, that he chooses. We're talking about believers here. The phrase, a people of his good pleasure, that's more accurate. God's favor bestowed on his people. They have peace. That's what Paul said. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ because Christ's death is sufficient. That bloody death was sufficient and it brought us peace. Isaiah 53 tells us he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace fell on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Peace. Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The angels are doing their job of glorifying God. They're announcing his glory and peace. So God is glorifying himself. He, he always has, he always will. And angels are doing their job. And then down in verse 15. And then we see people glorify God. People glorify God. What do you see happening in verses 15 through 17? Well, the shepherds take off. They found Mary and Joseph and Jesus. They saw it. They shared it. And then it says in verse 19, they, they went away glorifying and praising God for all that they had seen and heard. That's what they were doing. The ones with whom he is pleased publish this news. They proclaim this news. Believers do it. People praise God. People glorify God. People who, who believe in the Lord Jesus and are saved. 
Now, I said at the beginning, it's very easy at Christmas time to put all sorts of pressure upon yourself to make a cultural Christmas of magnanimous proportions and make it all how you like it. And everyone has their expectations. I, I want my house looking like this. I want my lights looking like that. No, I did not intend to have one string of lights. Things just caught up and it just happened. <laughs> it's a new thing now. I mean, it's gonna be a new trend. Give me a new trend. You like it. But it's really hard when you're working really hard to make Christmas special and even, and even say, and I want to bask in the glory of the biblical Christmas. I think it's easy, very easy, to have a major letdown afterwards. You're exhausted. Mentally and physically, you're exhausted. You're traveling, you're, you're visiting, you're entertaining, you're making, you're giving, you're enduring, you're doing all sorts of things. So it's very easy to have a major letdown at, I don't know, the day after, or, or New Year's, or whatever. It's like the day after you visit an amusement park. You go to, you know, Disneyland, and you're like, can't every day be like this? No, every day can't be a party. And every day can't be the cultural Christmas that we, that we want. The trappings, the deceptive influences. And you got to get back to real life. You got to go to work. You got to go to school. You got to do your job. But how can, you, how, can you, how can you keep from experiencing the letdown? You're like, that would be awesome. You know, what does God want us to know that we don't know? What, what are we missing here? I think the reason we often experience the letdown is because it's only natural that when you focus on one aspect, instead of the big picture, you get short-sighted. And, and you don't take into account the reality of how things really are. It's like when you crop a photo or you, you, know, you edit a photo and you got this picture, but you bring it in tight. And let's say you focus on one person in the photo. And that one person in the photo is smiling a big smile. So you, you go, wow, that's awesome. Let's bring that in tight and let's, let's, let's send this out. And you cut everything else out. But let's just say that you opened it up and you saw the rest of the picture and everyone in that picture is crying except for the person with the big smile. Because the person with the big smile was, was smiling an evil smile because they made everyone else cry. But you wouldn't know that because you missed the bigger picture. You, you cropped it in so close and edited it out and you didn't know. You missed the true reality. I like to think sometimes about what if, what if a person only came to church on Christmas and Easter? Well, it happens all the time, doesn't it? People come at Christmas and Easter. They check in, you know? Well, I think about what would they think or know about the Christian life by coming to church on Christmas and Easter. You're like, well, they're gonna know about the birth of Jesus and about the resurrection of Christ. Not bad things to know if you're only getting two servings a year, right? There's the biggies. But what would they know of the reality of the Christian life? What would they know of the pain following Christ through a difficult marriage or through a, a earth-shattering illness? What would they know of the endurance that the Holy Spirit brings and builds into believers to bear up with unbelievable heartache? Unbelievable discouragement or depression. What would they know of what would they know of, of abiding in Christ? Today as we celebrate Christ's birth this Sunday before Christmas, 
I, I, want, I wanted to point out the glory. And the reason I wanted to point out the glory is because that's what God is pointing out in this passage. The big deal of this passage is that Jesus has done everything for us. He is the, the glory of God. But I also wanted to point out the gory details, too, of life following the one that we celebrate that was born in a manger. Really a realistic picture of, of what it means to follow the one who was born in a manger, the one who created time and space, who put the stars in place, who lived and breathed and walked and talked on earth and died a bloody death for us and for our sins and for our salvation and for God's ultimate glory. Jesus, God for us. But you say, where's the gory details? If you crop the picture and just stay in Luke 2, 8 through 20, you're safe. Actually, I, wanna, I want you to notice something about the people's response to the shepherd's report. And I'm going to submit to you that it was actually a mixed response. It's easy to say everybody loved the fact that Jesus was born. You look in verse 18. All who heard it wondered. Whoa, they were amazed. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds glorified and praised God. Wow, we're having a big party, a birthday party for Jesus. Everything's great. Well, not so much. Verse 18, they were wondering. That means to be amazed. But we don't know if they were being amazed in unbelief or amazed in, by faith. We do not know what was in their hearts. Surely everyone who heard that weren't going to be born again believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. See, what I think is that some wondered by, by unbelief and some by belief, but Mary is the model here. She treasured and pondered the truth of the gospel and the wondering wasn't, it wasn't rejection, it wasn't, it wasn't, uh, saying I don't believe it she was saying I accept this it's like her song be it done to me according to you said have you said Lord the treasuring and the pondering was acceptance and reflection on glory on glorious truth but I think that some of the wondering was rejection everyone who heard it wondered how about Herod you see you go outside the frame and you've got Herod lurking in the shadows, ready to steal, kill, and destroy like his father the devil wanted him to. Murdering the innocents, thinking he might kill this, this rival toddler king. You say, well, can't we just, can't we just enjoy Christmas? Can we do this next Sunday? No, we're in Acts 17 next Sunday, and then the first week of January, we're back in back in uh, 1 Peter. Start 1 Peter 4. That'll take us up to Easter. But no, we can't do this next Sunday. We need to do this now. We're having this discussion now. And here's why. If you're a follower of Jesus and you're saying, wow, I am so caught up in everything cultural Christmas that my mind is spinning when I even think about basking in the glory of the biblical Christmas. You need to know a couple of things. And not just here at Christmas, but all year long. And they're the gory details of following Christ. I mean, announcement, followers of Christ, announcement. Jesus has done everything for you. Glory to God. Gospel of great joy. Peace. 
to believers. Glory, joy, peace, but also, yes, God glorifies himself. He'll always glorify himself, but also you follow an unpopular leader. I'm going to spread some Christmas cheer. You, un, you follow an unpopular savior. People hate Jesus. They're like, oh, but I look around and everyone is so happy with Jesus and they like my manger scene in my front yard. They hate him. Everyone doesn't love Jesus. They might fake it. You know, you can smile at someone and hate them inside. We get really good at this. Jesus is the most hated on earth. Anyone who isn't a citizen of heaven hates him. You're either with him or against him. Maurice Roberts in his book, The The Thought of God, said this. The world hates Jesus Christ more than anyone else who ever lived on earth. The popularity rating of our holy Savior is at the lowest possible point in the eyes of mankind. Anything is preferable to the godless than someone in whose face shines all the glory of God and in whose pure eyes is visible all the holiness of heaven itself. Your heart may revolt against that idea because you say it doesn't necessarily look like that at Christmas. It seems that everybody loves Jesus, but it is so easy to get lulled to sleep, you must be on your guard, believers. You look at the biblical account, you go outside of the frames of Luke 2 and Matthew 1, and you've got Herod ready to kill thousands. And even in this announcement of the birth, you've got some wondering, some rejecting, some reflecting. The angels glorifying God, and they're giving a message. They're giving a message of a Savior, a Messiah, who's Christ the Lord, and and so he's the victorious Lord. His word is sufficient. I believe what the angel said, but you must believe at Christmas time and be very aware that you believe a rejected message. You believe a message that hard-hearted people are rejecting all the time. Lord, who has believed our message? The gospel is foolishness to the perishing. John MacArthur in The Miracle of Christmas says, many people gladly celebrate the birth of Christ at Christmas, only to ignore, shun, and reject him the rest of the year. They don't mind celebrating the birth of a baby, but they don't want to hear about the Lord of Lords. They sing of his nativity, but brazenly reject his authority. They adore him as an infant, but they will not pay homage to him as the God-man. And sadly, some professing believers do the same. It's not easy to say these type of things about following Christ, but it's biblically true. People with whom God is pleased, believers glorify God, right? He's the reigning king, man. His will is perfect. Emmanuel, Jesus is our peace. But you need to know this at Christmas. Not just that you follow an unpopular leader and that you believe a rejected message, but you live a despised life. You're a follower of Christ, you live a despised life. People despise your faith in Christ because they despise the Lord Jesus Christ. I told you about my friend Emmanuel last week who was born in a Buddhist home and was named Emmanuel because his parents liked the name. And he clarified some of his story with me this week. Turns out he wasn't the first person in his family to become a believer. His mom all of a sudden got saved and he says he despised her faith because he despised the Lord Jesus. And it wasn't until his heart was surprised by joy and, and God drew him to himself 
in Christ that he saw how wrong he had been. You live a despised life. Jesus says in John 15, if the world hates you, know that it first hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. You're like, yeah, but my car looks the same when everyone else's and my, my clothes look the same as everyone else's. But, but if you are a citizen of heaven, you are not of the world. You are, you are of, of Christ and of God. Jesus has done everything for us. Is he your everything? Is he your all? In spite of everything that's weighing your heart down, is he your everything? Is he your all? In spite of every complaint that you could register, in spite of every joy and sorrow, in spite of every peak and pit, can you say with Paul, to, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain? Can you say that? Lord God, we thank you that in the midst of everything we are trying to do to make a cultural Christmas celebration, we thank you, Lord, that you remind us about truth in your word that must, that must govern our lives. Lord, it's fair to say that you do not want us to do anything but bask in the glory of Christmas where Christ has done everything for us and it makes all the difference so that whatever else we do is framed by that. Thank you, Lord, that he who knew no sin entered the world as a bloody infant to become sin for us on a bloody cross that we might be cleansed by his blood. Thank you, Jesus, God, for us.